Hi, and welcome to the Words of Encouragement podcast, a podcast of love, hope, inspiration, and encouragement using the Word of God for people from all walks of life. And of course, I'm your host, Arlena. Welcome, everyone, and thank you once again for joining me on another episode of the Words of Encouragement podcast. I hope and pray that this day has met each and every single one of you in the best of health, best of strength, and most importantly, in the best of spirits. And as always, before beginning, I'd like to start by giving all honor, all praises, and all glory to Father God Almighty, who art in heaven, His Son, Jesus Christ, and of course, the Holy Spirit. Because without Him, or them, I am nothing, and I cannot do anything, but through Christ Jesus who strengthens me including this podcast, as well as this podcast episode. Once again, I'd like to take some time out real quickly to say thank you to each and every single one of you who have listened, whether that's by hitting play or hitting download. I just want to say thank you and God bless you. Today is Friday, January 26th, 2024, and the temperature is currently 65 degrees. The time now is 9.11 p.m. I sat down at this computer to record this episode about a quarter to five talk about some attacks yeah but nevertheless it's 9-11 and the show must go on yes um in my cup I currently have some ginger some infused ginger and lemongrass tea with some spices as well as a touch of lemon juice, and some zero-calorie sweetener. And I also have a bottle of water on this side just to try and help to keep down the mouth clicks. That way I don't have to spend 10 hours trying to edit. So, yeah. So, yes. I hope each and every one of you are doing well. I believe this is the second episode for the new year, so... It's still January, so once again, I will say Happy New Year to each and every one of you. May you have a blessed, prosperous, and healthy 2024. 
despite, you know, whatever challenges we may face. The name of the Lord is a strong tower for the righteous. And there is hope for those who run to him. I hope and pray that you were able to catch the last episode, which was, of course, the second part of the Sins of the Father, Curse of the Sword series. And in that particular episode, we featured none other than Mr. Absalom, the son of King David. And of course, that was part one. I ended up having to break it up because it was just so much information. Um, It was a total of 12 double-sided pages. Typing-wise, 24. So yes, this probably will be a long episode. Um, I had 17 pages and seven from the last episode, which indeed does equal the 24 double-sided pages. So yeah, I was able to type that up yesterday. I had to make sure I, you know, I buckled myself down and get it done. I hate that I had to sit that long, but I had no choice. And I knew that I just wanted it to be done. Not knowing exactly how many pages it was that I typed until when I looked, I saw the number. I was like, oh my goodness. But either way, we got it done. So by the grace of God, we give God all thanks, all praises, all honor, and all glory. So yeah. So the last episode, like I said before, we stopped off on the first part of Absalom, which is the second part of the Sins of the Father, Curse of the Sword series. So today in this particular episode, we are going to be covering the second and final part of the life and story of Absalom. So the name and title of today's episode is Sins of the Father, Curse of the Sword, Part 3, The Children of King David. Absalom part two. This is episode number 142. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite hot or ice cold beverage, and join me back here in a few minutes as we get started. So I'll see you back in a few. Are you looking to spice up your quiet time Bible time with the Lord? Well, guess what? I might just have the right thing to help you. There is nothing better than being able to spend quality and intimate time with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and in His Word. For many of us, this may look different from day to day. Check out my 20-piece digital quiet time Bible study bundle. It comes with six topical scripture writing plans to encourage and uplift you as well as to help you get into the Word of God. So if you're ready to dig deeper 
are simply ready to give your Bible study a boost, check out my 20-piece Quiet Time Bible Study Bundle and other digital Bible study resources at Jahira Print Shop. The link will be featured in the description box. And as always, I'd like to take the time out to say thank you to each and every one of you. I do hope and pray that you will be blessed. listening to the Words of Encouragement podcast with yours truly, Arlena. Stay tuned. Okay, so welcome back. I hope that you were able to grab yourself something hot or either something cold, depending on where you are at at this part in time, wherever you are in the world listening. So yeah. So, once again, the name and title of today's episode is Sins of the Father, Curse of the Sword, The Children of King David. Absalom, Part 2 and Part 3 of the Sins of the Father series. And once again, this is episode number 142. So in the last episode, we left off at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 13, where Absalom had completed his two-year plot that he, you know, he was plotting against his eldest brother, Ammon, for the act that he had committed against his sister, Tamar. And also... In that very same episode, we left off where he ended up running to Geshur, where his grandfather was the king of that region in order to escape any type of, you know, prosecution. So today we are going to pick up starting in 2 Samuel chapter 14. And in today's episode, I will be going back and forth as far as the scriptures using either the King James or the New King James Version. I will say whatever version it is I am reading from at the time of whatever particular scripture it might be at that point in time. So yes, so let's just get into this. So Joab the commander-in-chief of David's army, as well as his nephew, realized that King David missed and he longed for his son Absalom. And at this point, David had come to terms with what had happened. You know, he had come to terms with the fact of his son's death. And then again, who really knows? You know, we don't know. Um, 
he probably realized that as the king of Israel and also as their father, that he did not handle a lot of things well or the way he should have, starting with disciplining Ammon, well, actually starting with comforting Tamar and disciplining Ammon. So at that point, I guess maybe he had time to think and, you know, maybe just evaluate some things. So at that point, his heart was probably softened, softened, excuse me, towards Absalom. So fast forward. Joab decides to set up a plan by sending for a woman from Tekoa. And what he wanted this woman to do was to go to King David and to pretend to be a mourner in order for him to hear her case. And as per Joab's instructions, she did exactly what she was told. You know, he told her also that she was to dress in mourning apparel, sackcloth and ashes. And she was to give King David, she was to go, excuse me, she was to go to King David and to say whatever it is that Joab told her to say in order to win the king over. In other words, he put the words in her mouth that she was to speak to the king. Now, this was Joab's plan of trying to reconcile both King David and his son Absalom. And right here, we can see that Joab has a heart, or at least he's showing it here. So the lady from Tekoa, she did just as Joab had requested. She put on her mourning clothes and she went to King David and presented her case before him. Because as, as the king, that's some of the things that he had to do. He had to judge. Which, in reality, the case that she presented to him was a case, of course, that was cooked up by none other than Joab. Nevertheless, it was a plan in order to bring Absalom back home and also so that both the king and his son could be reconciled to one another because after all, David did miss his son and of course he still loved his son. So when the woman from Tekoa presented her case to King David, David was swift and ready to take action and to give justice to the woman concerning her planned story or case. But yet, as the king of Israel, the very same king and the father of his children, he had not done anything to give justice correction or comfort where their situations were concerned. So then David realized that his nephew Joab was the one that was behind sending this woman with her made up story. And he realized exactly 
what Joab was trying to do indirectly without so much as saying it in so many words. It kind of reminds me when the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to confront David regarding his relationship or whatever it is he had, his indiscretion with Bathsheba, with his sin. So, of course, David decides to give in. He sends for Joab and tells him to go and to bring his son, Absalom, back. So, of course, Absalom is permitted to return, but he was not allowed to see his father, the king. The Bible also tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verses 25, that there was none in Israel who was praised as much as Absalom because of his good looks. The King James Version says his beauty. He did not so much as have a blemish on him, the Bible tells us. So he was pretty or nice looking, like we say back in the Caribbean, from his head straight to his foot, except for internally. The Bible also tells us that whenever Absalom, Mr. Absalom, would cut his hair, he would weigh it because it was so heavy. He had this long, luxurious, heavy hair. And it tells us that he weighed his hair at 200 shekels after the king's weight. Now, according, because I needed to know what, you know, how much exactly is 200 shekels? So according to the ISBE, which is the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, that one shekel of the king's weight, which is referred to as a royal shekel or stone, was probably about around 130 grams. Hmm, let me see. So one ounce, that's about four, about maybe four, maybe four, four and a half, four and a quarter ounces. Hmm. Anyway, so yeah, so Absalom also lived in Jerusalem, and he lived in Jerusalem for two full years after his return from Geshur, but yet he was still not able to see the king. So Absalom decided to send for his cousin Joab, the commander-in-chief of David's army. And of course, Joab refused to go to Absalom when he was sent for. So Absalom decides, oh, you refuse to come? Well, I'm going to do something to get your attention. And then Absalom decided to light or to have Joab's field set on fire to get his, his attention. And indeed he did. So of course then, at that point, Joab went to Absalom. And this is what he said to him in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verses 31. And it reads, Why have your servants 
set my field on fire. Let's just say Absalom knew what to do in order to get his cousin's attention. In other words, by any means necessary. So Absalom sent Joab to King David because he had not been allowed to see his father in the whole two years since he had returned from Geshur. And he wanted to know what was the point in King David allowing him to return, but yet he could not see the king's face. And he's just not the king. He's not just the king. He's also his father. So this is the message that Absalom sent Joab to his father with. So I'll be reading from verse 32. We're still in chapter 14, Second Samuel chapter 14. And this is what it says. I believe this was taken from the New King James. And it reads, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. Absalom probably only said that last statement because he knew deep down inside within himself that his father, King David, was not going to do anything to him. After all, remember, David did not discipline his children, when it, at least not when it was necessary. So I guess Absalom figured that, you know what, his father was not about to start at that point, especially knowing how he plotted for all those years to take revenge on his eldest brother Ammon because of what he had done to Tamar. So Joab... does as requested. And this kind of reminds me a little bit too when you kind of look at it right now. The same way Joab sent the uh, the, the, the so-called pretentious mourner from Tekoa to speak to King David, now here we have Absalom doing the very same thing. And Joab did as Absalom requested. And he went to the king with Absalom's message. Now the Bible tells us that David called for his son. And in verse 33, it tells us that Absalom came before the king and he bowed down before King David. And it also tells us that his father then kissed his son. And once again, we have King David not disciplining his son Absalom for what he did to his brother. Nothing wrong with kissing him and loving him, but you also have to, you know, you don't, you don't hear him saying anything to him like, oh, what you did is wrong. Nothing. He just embraces him and, you know, he just brings him back. So let's keep it moving. Now at this point, 
Absalom has three sons and one daughter whom he named after his sister Tamar. Now the Bible also tells us in verse 27 of 2 Samuel chapter 14 that she was a beautiful woman. And if I'm not mistaken, the King James Version says that she was a woman of fair countenance. Kind of reminds me of the way Rachel and Sarah were described. In other words, she was beautiful, just like her namesake, her aunt, Tamar. So clearly, both Absalom and Tamar must have come from a good-looking breed of families on both sides. And if you know the story, maybe you can remember, you know, when the Lord sent the prophet Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons, as soon as Samuel saw the eldest son, I think his name was Eliab, if I'm not mistaken, who was, he was tall and he was handsome. And as soon as, you know, the prophet Samuel saw him, he said to himself, he said, surely this must be the future king of Israel until God intervened and stopped him. Had the God of heaven not intervened, Samuel would have probably anointed Eliab, the next king of Israel, instead of King David because of his good looks, because David wasn't even present. While all the sons were present, they had David out tending to the sheep. But yeah. And you know, I love God's response to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verses 7. And it reads, this is what the Lord said to Samuel. He said, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And that was taken from the King James Version. And indeed, thank God that he is not like man, that he does not just look at the outer appearance, but rather the inner appearance. Because in this life, we have a lot of that, those that have been blessed with beauty. And a lot of times, or looks, a lot of times they're selected because of their looks. Until when people really get to know who they are internally because they're fooled or they just look at the outer appearance, but not really looking at the inner appearance. But God is more concerned with our inner appearance rather than our outward appearance. So we give God thanks. Now, David's elder brother had the height. And he had the looks, and I'm sure he had the body. You know, he probably was, yeah, he probably also had, you know, had to build. However, the God of Israel is the one who rejected him. You see, Eliab had the looks and the height, and like I said, maybe even the body. Probably had a six pack, you know, like the GQ, probably had all that going on. But yet, 
one of the most important things he did not have and that he was lacking. And of course, that was the heart that was after God's own. And of course, if you know the story, we all know who God chose as the next king of Israel to replace King Saul. And of course, it was none other than Absalom's father, King David. Now back to Mr. Absalom. The same way that Eliab had the looks, so did Absalom. Not only did Absalom have looks, he also had charisma. He knew how to win people over. And like his uncle Eliab, he also did not have a heart that was after God's own. He did have, he did have some heart. And it went off somewhere. But anyway, let's continue. And that is probably why he was never God's choice to be the one to succeed his father, King David, even though he was the next one in line to succeed his father for the throne. Because if anything had happened to David at that point, he was the next one in line that normally was supposed rightfully, according to you know the law, to succeed King David, but not according to God. Now, Kiliab, which, you know, a lot of people probably not familiar with. I wasn't too familiar with him myself either until, of course, I did this study. Well, Kiliab, he was the second son of King David. He was one of the six that was born to King David in Hebron. So, he was after Ammon. So with Ammon, who was the firstborn, he was the original successor to the throne. But of course, Absalom killed him because of what he did to Tamar. So with Ammon being dead, the next in line would have been Kiliab, not Absalom. So clearly, I tried to you know do some deeper research. And according to what I found out there, um, that he appear, it appeared that Kiliab died young. So that's the reason why Absalom was next. Now, Kiliab is not only one of the six sons that was born to David in Hebron. He is also the son of David, along with Abigail. You remember Abigail who was married to the fool? Mm-hmm. Nabal, he, the widow of Nabal. So Abigail was Kiliab's mother. So it appeared that he died young. And from certain research that I was able to gather and find, they said he was very righteous. So had he probably not died young, he would have probably very well been chosen by God to probably succeed King David, but he died young. They didn't say how or why, so I'm not sure what happened to him. But at that point, both him and 
Ammon were no longer. So of course, at this particular time, it made Ammon to be the eldest, seeing that both Ammon and Kiliab were no longer alive. Now, the fact that both Absalom and his sister Tamar, as well as Absalom's daughter, are referred to as being fear and countenance, I have to believe that probably must have meant that their mother Maka, who was the daughter of the king of Geshur, must have also been a fair woman. That's just my take on it. So let's move on. So we are now currently entering into 2 Samuel chapter 15, where the plot really starts to thicken. So now we're going to really know who Mr. Absalom is. So after Absalom had finally met with his father, King David, face to face, and he had been reconciled with him, the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 15 verses 1 that Absalom prepared chariots and horses, and he also had 50 men to run ahead of him. Well, it has also been documented out there in history that he was not just nice looking and crafty, but that also he was full of political pretentiousness and pomp. In other words, clearly, he was just full of himself. Or like we, we would say back in the Caribbean, he was smelling himself. The Bible tells us that Absalom rose up early. And listen, say whatever you want about Absalom. Absalom was ambitious, not in the right way, but listen, he knew what he wanted and he, he, listen, he knew how to put his things into action. You got to give him credit where that is concerned. You know, if only things could have been different. He had such potential, but yeah. So let's continue. So yeah, the Bible tells us that Absalom rose up early and he stood at the king's gate so that when anyone who came who had a problem and they wanted to see the king for judgment or justice, Absalom would pull them aside and say to them, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Listen, he was slick. He was crafty. And he would go on. And he would continue to speak to the person saying, Oh, that I were made judge in the land. And everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And that was taken, of course, from Second Samuel Chapter 15, verse 4, and I believe it might have been taken from the New King James Version. If not, it's probably the King James, but I think it's the New King James. He was crafty. Let me tell you, if he were to run for politics today, he'd be president if he was to run for president. 
He said, listen, I'm going to read it again. He said, oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. He said, then I would give him justice. And I'm sure he would. In other words, he, what he was trying to say, if he was made judge, he would make certain that justice would be given. Because clearly, for me, I would have to say this is a shot at his father. The fact that, I guess, you know, King David did not give justice where his sister Tamar was concerned. I remember when I was young, going to school in the Caribbean at that time, and there used to be, I think it was like a saying or a proverb, and or is this a saying? I guess, but I think I've, I think anybody has probably have heard it as well. Is that you know charity begins at home, and if David couldn't judge properly especially as the king, or, or, or forget about as the king at this point, but as a father, because he, he was a father before he was a king, then if he couldn't give his own daughter comfort or justice, I guess this was, this was what Absalom was trying to say. How would he be able to give justice to the people? I guess... Absalom meant he could do the job better because David did not give any type of justice to Tamar where Ammon was concerned. And of course, as we know how Ammon got his justice, it's because Absalom took it because he felt, well, he was the judge. Mm -hmm. So you see, when we don't do our part, the enemy will send someone to do what we were supposed to do. And he will send them to do something, as you know, is either kill, steal, or destroy. Whereas all David maybe had to do is discipline his son, make him do the right thing. He probably would have still been alive. But yeah. And the Bible goes on to tell us in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 5 to 6. And it reads... And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom, the, this is what the Bible says. So Absalom stole the heart of the men of Israel. Absalom, with his plan, his ambition, was able in his plot to win the hearts of the people. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what he did. All the while, Absalom was secretly plotting against his father, the king. And like I said before, 
Not only was he handsome with long flowing hair and full of pomp, he was also very crafty. You know, you could still deal with the pomp, but the thing is he was very crafty, crafty. Or like we would say back in the Caribbean, he was very slick. And he was also very dangerous. And let's not forget that. You know, he plotted. And he secretly and quietly, well, he quietly waited. And plotted for two whole years. On how and when he was, he was supposed to take out his brother. Absalom was a man who always had something up his sleeve. In today's society in the world, of course, they would say he was ambitious. He was ambitious, all right, but not in a good way, neither in a godly way. Now, in verse 7 of chapter 15, it tells us, that after 40 years, Absalom went to the king and asked him for permission to go to Hebron. And of course, Hebron was the place of his birth. He wanted to go to Hebron as he said to the king, his father, to pay his vow, which he had vowed to the Lord. Now, both of you and I good well know that boy ain't had the Lord on his mind let alone to pay any vows to him unless he was talking about his Lord Satan. Okay. But he knew what to do to get what he wanted. And you know, David just, he was just blind when it came to his children, at least the boys. Well, at least Ammon and Absalom. Absalom did not make any vow to the Lord because had he made a vow to the Lord he wouldn't have killed his brother but you see David wasn't thinking he uh, I wouldn't even say he wasn't it's, it's like I don't know I think after you know I believe David you know really felt terrible for what transpired and he did but it got to the point that it crippled him from doing the things that he needed to do, especially as far as his children were concerned. And to me, that was even worse because, yeah. So let's continue. Absalom probably told David this lie or this excuse so that he could get permission to go to Hebron because he knew that his father, despite his shortcomings, he truly loved the Lord. He really did. So Absalom knew that this is something that King David would be pleased with. And it, probably him saying this, his father would think, oh, Absalom has really changed. And probably was happy to know that Absalom was wanting to go to Hebron to pay his vow to the Lord that he never made. And of course, 
King David being truly naive, especially when it came to his, his, his sons, his children. He was a skilled warrior. He, let me tell you, oh Lord, let me, listen, listen, listen. David and his mighty men, Joab, David, Abishai, I forgot what um, Joab's other brother, I forgot what his name was. I don't even remember right now. As well as Abiathar. And I'm going to do a piece on him. And is it Itai? I think Itai was one of them also. Let me tell you something. They were some of the most skilled warriors in the Old Testament. I don't think there was a king that could have fight a war like David. Except to the king, the one that's coming, the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. But I don't think there was a king alive during or after David that could fight the way he fought. I mean, he was a he was skilled when it came to war, just like Joab, skilled potential. Seriously speaking, he really was. But he sure lacked discernment. Or he simply just ignored everything when it came to his children. And as usual, David gave Absalom his blessing. The same way he did when Absalom came to him to ask for permission for Ammon and the rest of his brothers to attend the sheep sharing festival. At first he was asking for Ammon. Of course, David asked, well, why should he go with you? So Absalom being crafty realized, hmm, he catching on. So I gotta, I gotta say something else. And he was always quick. He always had a quick comeback. And of course, David obliged him because at that point, he was like, okay, no problem. Because now he wasn't just asking for Ammon. He was asking for all the brothers. So I could see that part. And of course, if you listen to my last episode or if you have read the story or you know the story, we all saw what happened there at the sheep sharing festival, you know, and then again to who knows, maybe King David might have been feeling guilty for what he had done with Bathsheba and what his, you know, what it had cost him and his household. Who knows? I don't know. But either way, David needed a whole lot of discernment, especially with this fella Absalom. And by now you would think that David would have learned from the first instance. He should have known That that boy ain't had nothing that was of the Lord besides the fact that he was alive and his good looks. And of course, Absalom was allowed to go and he left and he headed to Hebron just like he had planned. And while he was at Hebron, he sent out spies throughout the 12 tribes of Israel. Now one would have thought that he was Moses sending out the 12 spies to spy out the land of Canaan. But he, let me tell you, he, he was something else. 
Absalom told his spies that when they heard the sound of the trumpet, they were to say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Now the Bible tells us that 200 men went out of Jerusalem with Absalom in their simplicity, not really knowing what he had up his sleeve or what he was about to do. But either way, it was like the blind mice or the lost sheep. They followed him straight out to Hebron. Lesson here, be careful who you are following. Be careful who I am following. Do not follow anyone blindly unless both you or I are following none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We can follow him blindly. So later Absalom would go on to send for Ahithophel, who was David's advisor. Now the Bible tells us in the King James Version that the conspiracy was strong and that the people increased continually with Absalom. So let us fast forward. David and all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, along with his wives, they had to end up running for their lives because Absalom was about to do a major slaughter of which would not only probably have been King David and his men, but most likely also his wives and probably his other children. And of course, David had to run for his life taking his entire household with him except for 10 concubines that he left behind to tend to the house. But of course, both King David and his servants, as well as his family, they had to run in search of a safe place in order to save their lives from Absalom, the self-proclaimed and self-crowned king. Now, not only did many people follow Absalom, David's advisor Ahithophel also turned on David, joining forces with Absalom in the conspiracy not just to overthrow King David, but also to take David's life. Ahithophel went on to become Absalom's advisor instead of King David's. And that's who he was actually working for. King, he was actually King David's advisor. But he went on to become Absalom's advisor, betraying David. And he was one on the front line telling Absalom to kill his father. Like he wanted to see him dead. Okay, and he was the one that gave him the advice to go and pitch a tent and yeah, you know the rest. But despite everything, even though David had done what he had done, and of course, 
not without consequences where, you know, the Lord's judgment was, is that the right word, I guess, or I guess consequences, I'm I'm not sure what's the correct word, judgment, consequences, even though that David was not going to die because of what he had done, because he did repent and he truly did repent, Psalm 51, Um, and he really repented, you know, from the bottom of his heart, he really did. Out of it, we have one of the most um, beautiful psalms of repentance. And because of that, the Lord spared him from death. But there was going to be a price to be paid because of what he had done. And that price was the sword would be opened up over his house. And... Because of the sword being opened up over his house, he, as we see right now, the sword has him running from Absalom because Absalom trying to kill him, clearly. Despite everything, God still had a plan in this whole fiasco. So, even when we mess up, now I'm not saying that's a license for us to go out and mess up, but we're still human. And sometimes, yes, we do mess up. Unintentionally. Intentionally. But either way, we shouldn't be intentionally. So I'm more speaking at this point unintentionally. Repent. And David did what he did. It wasn't unintentionally. It was deliberate. So he knew what he was doing. But the key is we have to repent. You know, and, you know, truly be repentant and come before the Lord humbly with repentance in a broken spirit, a contrite heart, broken spirit, in repentance, and turn away, and you know, and, and repent for our sin. And even though we might be chastised for our sin or the consequences of whatever it is we may have done, it doesn't mean that God hates us or he just will abandon us. Like the Bible says, he chastises who he loves. And if he's chastising us because, well, we did do something, I know the chastisement never feels good, but when you know you're wrong, you accept your punishment. And David was ready to accept whatever it was because he knew God had spared his life. But despite everything, God did not abandon David because David did repent. God still had a plan, even though the sword had been loosed over David's house. God used Hushai, one of David's loyal friends, to help to turn the counsel of Ahithophel, the crook, the betrayer, into foolishness. Lord, turn the counsel of my enemies into foolishness. In Jesus' name. Ahithophel 
also wanted David dead. And if you know the story, Absalom decided to go with Hushai's counsel rather than Ahithophel's. Thank God. That was God's demonstration right there, his grace, his mercy of turning the counsel of the wicked into foolishness. And in this case, it was for David's good. All the glory to the Father. And of course, Ahithophel now, who probably never had his advice rejected, and of course knowing the fact that he betrayed David, left David to join forces with Absalom, only now to have Absalom not take his advice, but instead to take the advice of Hushai, he couldn't live with himself. He just couldn't live with himself in the thought that Absalom chose Hushai's counsel over his. Or, hmm, was that really the cause though? Or was it the fact that just like Judas, the betrayer who wanted Jesus dead, Ahithophel also wanted King David dead. He wanted Absalom to actually hunt down his father and like really kill him. And his plan backfired. Thank God. And although Ahithophel may have been King David's advisor for so many years, that at that very moment was God actually allowing him to be exposed so that King David could know exactly what kind of man he was receiving counsel from and doing away with him. Now this situation with Absalom not only openly showed what Absalom's true intentions were, it also showed Ahithophel's true character. Just like Judas killed himself after betraying Christ, in the same manner, after siding with Absalom and betraying David, Ahithophel decided to kill himself. And for more on that story of Ahithophel, the betrayer, you can read the rest of the story in 2 Samuel chapter 17. Now let's get back to the current situation at hand. In the process, Absalom did take some of Ahithophel's advice. And he took his advice as far as pitching a tent on the rooftop of the palace in Jerusalem for the entire Israel to see as he, Absalom, 
son of the king, took his father's concubines, the ones that were left behind to tend to the house. <clears throat> now, what does that scene remind you of? This is what it reminds me of. And if you said David and Bathsheba, you are very much correct. Just like David took Uriah's wife on the rooftop, so once again, we see the judgment of God on David's house as all this is playing out as part of the consequences of his actions with Bathsheba. Just like how David was sitting on that rooftop while Bathsheba out there taking a bath instead of him being on the front line, as the skilled warrior that he was helping to fight the battle, he saw her and he took her. And in the same way, because of what he did, the pronouncement, his son Absalom took his wives just as his son Ammon took his daughter. So you see the women in King David's lives were the ones to pay the heaviest price because they didn't do anything. Okay, Ammon, he, he, he raped Tamar. He did something. And Absalom, oh, that's a different story. But Tamar didn't do anything. And neither did these concubines. They were just left behind to take care of the house as everybody ran. And I kind of have to believe that was a way also of him doing that. That's, that's like really humiliating King David. And he did it openly for everyone who was present in Israel to see. That's like a shame. So the same way David took Bathsheba, he did it in secret. There's a, a verse in the Bible that I don't remember how it goes exactly. What is done in secret, he bring it out, you know, publicly in light for everyone to see. So that's kind of like what happened right there. And I kind of feel too, it was Absalom's way of saying, just like your son took my sister, I'm going to take your wives. And just like you didn't do anything, to defend my sister, your daughter. I'm going to take your wives where you can't do anything either. That's just my take on it, but doesn't mean I'm correct. But yeah. So let's continue. Now we are almost at the end. So David later divides the people while he's out there running for his life. And in the process, of course, um, What's the name of that gentleman again? I don't even remember his name. He starts to curse him. I can't remember his name right now, God, for, for the love of me. But he, he's not part of this at this moment. Even though he's part of the story in the Bible, we're not talking about him. So I'm not going to um, bring that in right now at this moment. But all that was part of judgment because even he ended up cursing him. I cannot remember his name. Lord, help me. I think it was Shimei. Shimei, I, I think it's Shimei. He was a, a descendant of King Saul. And man, he was, he was cursing him out as David was barefoot, 
mourning clothes and crying and, 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 you know, solemnly at his lowest point, running for his life, Shimei curses David. Mm hmm. David later goes on to divide the people while placing captains over them. He kind of like divided them in groups of which he placed three captains. I think if I remember correctly, they were over groups of, I think a hundred, I, I can't remember. But anyway, he grouped them together and he placed a captain over each group. And of course, the three captains were none other than Mr. Joab, who was the captain of David's army in general. And then you have his brother Abishai, as well as Itai. So David gave them specific instructions concerning dealing with Absalom when they came upon him. Because one thing David knew, let me tell you, if Joab who was the, you know, the leader of the army. Along with his brother Abishai, I know too much about Etai. I did do some research and I'll give it to you a little later um, as we get closer to the end of the episode. One thing David knew for sure, when it came to Joab and Abishai, especially with Joab leading again, listen, you wasn't going to get away. He was going to find you because Joab, like King David, was a skilled and brilliant warrior, but very corrupt. It's so sad. But this man, who he could, he could fight some battles, like seriously speaking. And sometimes, you know, I, I sit here and I think about Joab and I'm like, you know, Joab... <laughs> Someone needed to knock Joab upside his head because, you know, he had some God-given potential, but he was just so corrupt. And I also did a character study on him um, about three or four episodes back. So if you've not had a chance to listen to it, you might want to take a listen to it and get a little more information about Mr. Joab. So yeah, so David gave them specific instructions concerning dealing with Absalom. Because obviously David knew they were going to find him. And this is what he says to them in 2 Samuel. Now we are currently in chapter 18, reading from verse 5. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. And it reads, and this is David speaking to the captains. Deal gently for my sake, with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains, which of course is Joab, Abishai, and Itai, orders concerning Absalom. So of course, Absalom's followers, or his army, and David's forces both went to battle in the woods of Ephraim. And the people of Israel who stood with Absalom were slain and defeated before the mighty men of David. 
And the Bible tells us that 20,000 men were slain that day, all because they followed the wrong person. This reminds me of people following the wrong pastors. You're going to end up in the wrong direction. Anyway, let's continue. It also tells us that the woods or the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And of course, Absalom was left alone. So now here he is alone by himself, where he later is met by David's mighty men. So here he comes face to face with the mighty men of, of David. And he knew exactly who these men were. For one, being Joab, leader and the captain of David's army, along with his brother Abishai, and of course, Etai. And two out of three of those men who were the captains, two of them were his cousins which were Joab and Abishai. So he knew who they were and what they were also capable of, especially Joab. And of course, as he saw them approaching, and as he was probably running away for his life, Upon his donkey, I'm not sure what happened to the chariot and horses, but in this case, he was on a donkey. Hmm. That's a that's that's a that's a symbol right there. He went from having a chariot with horses and fifty men running ahead of him to all of a sudden now he's in war that he started because of his wicked plot and trying to kill his father and take the throne. And here he is now on a donkey, running for his life. And the Bible tells us that the donkey went under a thick bow. So I have to look at what bow, you know, meant. And it means branches of a great oak tree. And of course, his long luscious, thick, and beautiful head of hair, the one that when he would cut it, he would weigh it, got caught. This, the, the hair that he so worshipped. Man, you can't tell me these ain't signs. Got caught in one of the branches where he was left hanging from the oak tree. And as the Bible tells us, the mule ran off. Well, at least the mule had more sense than him. And of course, when some of King David's men saw him, they told Joab, the captain of the army, as well as the cousin of Absalom. The very same man who was responsible for helping to reconcile 
Absalom with his father. One of the reasons why Absalom was allowed to return back to Jerusalem. And this was very, this was also the very same Absalom who had lit Joab's field on fire because Joab refused to come to him. And when David's men came to Joab and told him that they had found Absalom, listen exactly to what Joab said. Okay, so now I will be reading what Joab says from 2 Samuel chapter 18. I will be reading from chapter 18 from verse 11. And I'm going to read from the New King James Version. I was going to read from the King James, but maybe not everyone would be able to understand it. So I will just go ahead and use the New King James Version. Um, I don't really too care much for the other version. So um, I'm going to use the New King James Version. At least it's a little easier English um, to understand. So, okay. So starting 11. And it reads, And Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth mine hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king charged thee and Abishai and Etai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life, for there is no matter hid from the king and thou thyself wouldest have set thyself against me. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom. While he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bear Joab's armor come past about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing after Israel for Joab held back the people and they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him and all Israel fled every one to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up himself a pillar 
which is in the king's dale. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it is called unto this day Absalom's place. Now, I did switch this to the New King James Version, and for some reason, it did not change. So, it ended up being on the King James instead of the New King James. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to reread it in the New King James Version so that, you know, you can understand it a little better if you were not able to. So, once again, I'm going to be reading from 2 Samuel Chapter 18, starting from verse 11 to verse 18. And this, of course, is the response of Joab after his men told him that they have found or saw Absalom. And this is his response to them. So Joab said to the men who told him, you just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Etai saying, beware lest anyone Touch the young man, Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king. And you yourself would have set yourself against And Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart. While he was still alive in the midst of of the terebinth tree and 10 young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel for Joab held back the people and they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit into the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken up and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day, it is called Absalom's Monument. Now, while I was reading these passages, when I was reading the first time from the King James Version, it didn't come to me before, but it came to me at that point that the Holy Spirit started showing me something there. Uh, well, I kind of saw a couple things that uh, I didn't see before. Um, for one, the part where Joab 
took three darts and he threw it. He threw those three darts into Absalom's heart. Now, clearly, from Absalom's behavior and his actions, he clearly did have a heart problem. And like I said before, he did not inherit the heart that his father inherited from the Lord. Because he sure did not. Nehem nor Ammon, neither one of them had a heart that was after God's own. But it is said out there in some of the Jewish history that Kiliab was a righteous man. So clearly he did have a heart that was after God's But for whatever reason, he died young, so he was no longer part of the picture. So that's one thing that was shown there. Absalom had a heart problem. He was vain, he was crafty, he was dangerous. And Joab hit him in the area exactly where he had a problem. And that was in his heart. And just imagine, Absalom asked, I mean, excuse me, Joab asked the young man, why didn't you strike him? I would have given you a thousand shekels of silver in your hand as well as a belt. And the young man said, even if you were to give, no, he said he would give him, no, I'm sorry. He said he would have given him, what is it, 10? Yeah, 10 shekels of silver, yes. The man said, even if you were to give me 1,000, I would not raise my hand against the king's son and that's me I don't care what you give me I don't care I, I, I listen I'm not gonna do it mm -mm. so clearly this was a righteous young man he said no I was not gonna do it he said because he heard he took his ear and he heard what not just him they all heard including Joab, what David said to them to not raise a hand, in other words, to kill Absalom, but he did it. But the young man was like, I am not going to do it because I heard what the king said. He said, and if I was to raise my hand against the king's son, especially hearing what I've heard, he said, otherwise I would have dealt falsely against my own life. If some people would only stop to think when they're touching certain people, especially children of God, they would think twice. If they would think like this young man, life would be better. He's, and this is what he goes on to say. He said, for there is nothing hidden from the king. And, he's, and this is what this is the best part, he says. And you, as in Joab, yourself would have set yourself against me. And he's correct. Because Joab would have threw him in and killed him too. And of course, Joab takes vengeance into his hand the same way Absalom 
took vengeance into his hand and killed his brother. So you see the same, you just see, you know, you just see the same thing happening. And if you were able to listen to my character study on Joab, we all know later on what happened to Joab. So you just see this cycle of these men that did not have had hearts that were after God's own. They were brilliant warriors, strategic, strong, nice looking, ambitious, smart, crafty. But the problem was, you know, they, they were crafty. They did not have hearts that were after God. They were part of God's people, but yeah, they did not have the heart of God. And of course, another thing that stands out is when Joab threw those three darts into his heart, later on, 10 young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. Kind of the way when he was dishing out his orders to his servants to kill his brother Ammon. That when he was, you know, tipsy with wine, he must strike him down in cold blood in the same way he was struck down. It's kind of like you just see you just see things mirroring. You, you know, you just see, let me tell you, the Bible is real. God is real. And, you know, we have a saying back home in the Caribbean, what goes around, it comes around. That goes both ways, good and evil. Be careful the seeds that we sow. Seriously, because it will come back to bite you at some point. So let's keep going. The last thing that sticks out here in this passage as well. Well, there's two, not the last. There's one more after this. I'm sorry. After the 10 young men surrounded Absalom and killed him, Joab blew the trumpet. And the same way Absalom blew the trumpet and declared himself king in Hebron. And here we see the trumpet again. Now the other thing that also stands out, after they had killed him, they took him down and threw him in a pit, a large pit in the woods. And they laid a very large heap of stones that are over him. And of course, it says also that all the Israel, everyone, they fled to their tents. The same people that were following, that they followed um, Absalom with his craziness. The, one, the ones that were able to survive. And verse 18, very unique, because when I was doing the study on it, I was like, but wait a minute, I just read X, Y, and Z in chapter 15. But then... When you look, it's a time span because from that time to what we're reading here, this is 40 years later when he decides to go to Hebron and to call himself king 
and blah, 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 and all that stuff. But this is what it says here. Once again, I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. And it says, Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself. So now here, he, he had set up like a, a monument of himself, like to honor himself, which is in the King's Valley. And the Bible tells us that he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And to this day, it is called Absalom's Monument. And from my understanding, that still stands. But ironic, yeah? Because when he came back from Geshur, he had two sons and one daughter. But at this point, 40 years later, he had no sons. But he still had a daughter. And as you go on to do the research, Tamar, which is his sister that he took in, she took care of his and she raised his daughter. So his child became her child, in other words. And yeah, so by this time, he didn't even have a son. His children was also taken from him because he struck down Ammon. So there was no seed from Ammon. So the same way he had none left either. As far as the males, because back in those days, it was the males that were supposed to lead. Not the women. It was the males. That's why they were. So big on women having. You know. Boy children to carry on that name. It was as if a girl. He just was a girl. But like the boys were expected to carry the name. To carry the legacy. So he had none left. But God allowed his daughter Tamar, to live. And she became Tamar's daughter because she had to help raise her after the death of her father and her brother, which is the both Tamars. So you see, God still did not leave Tamar completely desolate she didn't bear her but she still became hers kind of like God giving his people houses and wells houses we never built and wells that we didn't dig so she was given her niece Tamar that she did not birth, but it was her brother's daughter and also her namesake. So you still see God's mercy. You still see God's faithfulness as well as his justice in the story of Absalom's life. So at this point, that was the end of Absalom, the son of King David. And of course, Absalom 
would go on to make the third. The third? Well, he Absalom would actually go on to make the fourth child that King David would lose to death. But he would be the second child to go on to die by the sword that was released over David's house because of his actions with Bathsheba. Remember the first child to die was the one that he had with Bathsheba that died as a baby. Second one being Ammon who was struck down by the sword at the hands of his brother Absalom. Then you had Kiliab. I believe um, Kiliab must have died either before Ammon or after Ammon. I'm not sure, but either way, he was already dead. So he would have been the third, but he was not, he was not struck by the, um, the sword. But the first one to die by the sword was Ammon, and the second one was, or is at this point, Absalom. Making it a total of four of David's sons who have all died and one daughter who has been defiled because of his actions of what he did with Bathsheba as well as what he did to her husband Uriah that's where that sword came from and then of course we have King David's response to the news of his son Absalom's death and of course, that is taken from 2 Samuel 18. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version from verse 24 to 33. And it reads, Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate, to the wall. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out, and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Then the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, There is another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like the running of Amazah, excuse me, Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, who was a priest. And the king said, he is a good man and he comes with good news. So Ahimaaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down with his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. The king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? 
Ahimez answered and said, When Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord, the king, for the Lord has avenged you in this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you to do harm be like that young man. And then the Bible tells us in verse 33, Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept and he said thus, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He loved his son. He really did. He did. He really loved his son. So I went digging, doing some even more further study than what I had originally already done. And one commentary states that, well, actually, this came from the Know the Word Study Bible. And this is what their take was on Mr. Absalom. It says, Absalom was a rebel. But he had been a little boy born to David in the early years as king in Hebron. And for David, he would always be that beloved son. Absalom deserved to die and he knew it. But he still longed for things to have turned out differently. In a few short years, the repercussions of David's sin with Bathsheba had destroyed the lives of Ammon, Tamar, and of course now Absalom. Even David's concubines were affected by David's actions with Bathsheba. A lot of calamity. A lot of blood was shed because of his actions with Bathsheba. So that commentary was taken from the Know the Word Study Bible. Now... The fulfillment of prophecy that came through the prophet Nathan, which was in 2 Samuel 12, verse 10 to 13, where it reads, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel before the sun 
And of course, the neighbor that took his wives was none other than his son, Absalom. And what he did in secretly with Bathsheba, the Lord allowed the same thing to happen to his concubines, but openly in the sight of everyone. The prophecy was fulfilled. Now, I would like to share a few passages from some other commentaries or commentators um, that I was able to gather some more information from and also gather their take on certain things in reference to King David's reaction to his son Absalom's death. Now, the first few comments are from uh, Spurgeon. There are quite a few. It's going to be a long episode. I do apologize. Lord, I'm going to be here all night editing, but it has to be done. Okay, so this is what it says. It says here, is the young man Absalom safe? They're kind of referring back to the scripture. And this is what Spurgeon, this is, you know, Spurgeon's thoughts on this. This was David's only concern. And he should have been more concerned for Israel as a nation than for his traitor son. At the same time, David's question is an example of the great bond of love between parent and child and between God our Father and his children. And this is what Spurgeon goes on to say. He might have said, is the young man Absalom dead? For if he is out of the way, there will be peace to my realm and rest to my troubled life. But no, he is a father and he must love his offspring. It is a father that speaks and a father's love can survive the enmity of a son. Now he goes on to say here, our children may plunge into the worst of sins, but they are our children still. They may scoff at our God. They may tear our heart to pieces with their wickedness. We cannot take complacency in them, but at the same time, we cannot unchild them, nor erase their image from our hearts. And then he goes on to say here, he say, um, when Ahima said he saw a great tumult, he says here, compared to the Cushite, Ahimaaz was a better runner, but a worse messenger because he didn't know his message. A message can be delivered beautifully, but the messenger's first responsibility is to get the message correct. Mm, wow. And he goes on. May the, just like he said, may the enemies of my Lord, the King and all who rise against you do no harm against you to do harm. I'm sorry. Be like the young man without saying it directly. The Cushite told David that Absalom was dead. Now he also comments on David's mourning. And this is what he says. Then the King was deeply moved. That was from the Bible. And he went out to the chamber over the gate and he wept. This is what Spurgeon says. 
He says, The king was deeply moved. The Hebrew idea of deeply moved implies a violent trembling of the body. David felt completely undone at hearing the news of Absalom's death. And I mean, yeah, because it still was his son. In part, David was so deeply moved because he knew that he supplied the soil this tragedy grew from. That's, some, that's a powerful statement. That's why it's very important, the seeds we sow. Because, yeah, the soil can become tainted. And he said, the soil came from David's indulgent parenting. Yes, indeed. And then he goes on and he says, the soil came from David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, after which God promised David, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And he says, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And then Spurgeon goes on to say here, the soil came from David's own sinful indulgence of his passions and smaller rebellions against God, which sins and weaknesses were magnified in his sons. And he goes on to say, this is the last two from Spurgeon. He goes to say, David's sorrow shows us that it isn't enough that parents train their children to be godly. They must first train themselves in godliness. And he says here, we cannot stand in the presence of that suffering without learning the solemn lessons of parental responsibility that it has to teach, not merely in training our children, but in that early training of our own selves for their sakes. And I do apologize. This statement actually is from Morgan. And um, Morgan's name is G. Campbell Morgan which was taken from the Morgan's exposition of the entire Bible. I need to get a copy of this one. This particular commentary is very good. And then Morgan, Morgan goes on to say here, he says, this surely had a deeper note in it than that of the merely half conscious repetition of words occasioned by personal grief. The father recognized how much he was responsible for the son. It is as though he had said, he is indeed my son. His weaknesses are my weaknesses. His passions are my passions. His sins are my sins. And that's taken from Mr. Morgan. And then we have here last, um, Mr. Smith, which is Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel. And he had some, uh, quite a, a few things to say here, but I just pulled out a couple. The first one, it says here, if only, when, when David said, if only I had died in your place. According to Smith, he says, David wanted to die in the place of his rebellious son. What David could not do, God did by dying in the place of, of rebellious sinners. And that's true indeed because Jesus Christ, he died for our sins. And then last, we have, so in the cry of David, we actually hear the cry of God 
for his lost children, his desire to restore and his desire to forgive. Once again, from Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel. And real quickly, I also want to share with you something that I also took from Chuck Smith's commentary. And this is what it says here. It says, Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave into Egypt. And this was in reference to this whole thing with David and Absalom. And it says, once again, Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave into Egypt. And Joseph went down into Egypt. His brothers betrayed him, sold him as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. They cared not that Joseph was crying. Oh, please, guys, don't do this. Oh, he was weeping. And that was the last they saw of him. The guy was just crying on the cart being carried down to Egypt, their brother. They were heartless. They were cruel. But it stuck in their minds almost 20 years later when they were in Egypt and having a bad time because of Pharaoh's wrath. They turned to each other and they said, we're getting what's coming to us. Don't you remember Joseph and how he was crying? Man, it's coming back to us. He's just paraphrasing. And this is what he says. You do not get away from your conscience. It sticks. The scars are there. You don't escape them. And the scars that are left upon those around you, the heart, the hurt that comes. So, so yeah. So, got a couple of questions here. One of the questions, I asked this question when I did the character study on Joab. And the question is, was Joab right in killing Absalom? Now, this is my answer. doesn't mean I'm correct. But this is just my answer. If I, you know, this is just me. Seeing that I'm not a parent, never have been. It is a little difficult to answer, but yet I can still answer. To be honest, I am not sure if whether Joab did the right thing or not. However, I do know this much. Absalom did sow the seeds, just like how David sowed the seeds that caught Absalom because of his actions, his ways. That's why that fell on him. Because it didn't fall, you know, the sword didn't fall on Kiliab. And neither did it fall on Solomon because they had different hearts. And neither did it fall on Tamar. So there we go. Or any of David's other children because he had four children with Bathsheba who was alive. So it fell on Ammon and Absalom because clearly their hearts were tainted. And... I really can't say whether Joab did the right thing or not, but this is what I would say. If I personally was in Joab's situation, I don't know what I would have done. Hmm. Or maybe, I, I don't know, or if I would have done the right thing, but uh, I definitely would not want to raise my hand against the king's son. I'll be honest with you. But the real question here is, had Absalom lived 
what would he have done further? Clearly, he would have completed what he didn't complete before. Because after killing his brother, he's, look, look, look what he tried to do. He would have wiped out David, his wives, his children, his men. And, of course, he would have probably wiped out Joab, or he would have tried. Joab probably would have killed him for sure because, yeah, Joab was, Absalom was crafty, but he was a no fighter. But Joab was a warrior. But nonetheless, David probably would have been dead. His children, wives, and they, they would have been dead. So Absalom's justice came to him because of what he did. He lifted his hand against his brother and he killed him. He took justice. And then he pursues his father to kill him. So, you know, the Lord was not just going to sit back and allow that to happen. So it's like Absalom's judgment, in my opinion, came on his own head. So to me, it was like his blood on his own head. That's all I can say. I, I, I don't know if I'm correct, but I, know I wouldn't trust Absalom to, to, to leave him alive. Because look what happened. They brought him back and look what he did. Even worse than what he did before. And when you look at this whole scenario, now that we know he's dead and we know the whole story, what he did was far worse than what Ammon did. And if he felt that Ammon deserved to die because of what he did to his sister, it wasn't his call to make that decision, but he did. And if he felt that way towards his brother, but then why should it be any different for him in everything that he was busy doing? And he did a whole lot more than Ammon did. Because after that, you didn't hear Ammon in anything after that. But yes, Ammon should have been disciplined. But that was David's fault. Clearly, they were raised without discipline. Because maybe if he was raised better, he would have maybe apologized to his sister. Maybe do the right thing. But he wasn't. they weren't raised properly. And David did not do the right thing. So yeah, I have to say, uh, I think he did. I think he did do the right thing by by taking him out. Um, clearly, there was some animosity there in um, Joab. And Joab probably was angry the fact that he lit his field of fire, especially after bringing him back. And then he turns around and do that. Because, you know, listen, it, it, it didn't take too much for Joab to kill you, okay? So, and then, you know, make it worse that Absalom lit his his field on fire. So he probably, you know, this guy is a problem. And also for the fact that David was very lax when it came to justice and judgment where his children were concerned. And he knew had Absalom lived, David would give him a pat on the back and Absalom would go on to probably do even worse than what he had already done with Ammon and what he was doing right there at that point in time. So I would say, I do think he did the right thing, I guess. Now, the next question here, um, I had to ask myself as I was doing this study. Like, what have I or what have we learned from the story of Absalom? I have a couple of points here. The first one is that whenever it is in our power to do something, be it the power to discipline, comfort, or give justice, or just to help, that we should not only just sit back, but we should do it and do it righteously according to the word of God and the will of God. 
up next, that if we have wronged someone, it is extremely important that we repent first and foremost to the Father. And if we can do right by that person, we should try our best to do so, even if it's simply just to say, I am sorry. I am sorry goes a long way. Trust me. And in three, we have to be extremely careful, especially when someone continues to have a certain pattern of behavior, as he did. That, of course, in the long run, could end up costing us a whole lot, including our very own lives. And Absalom demonstrated this behavior on and on and on. So when somebody show you who they are, believe them. Separate yourself. The next, no matter what someone has done to us, we must not seek our own vengeance. Remember that the Lord said in his word that vengeance is his. He will repay. Not I or you. He will. So that's something very important. That we leave justice for God. I know we're human, but you still got to leave justice for God. Because when you take it upon yourself or I, guess what? God going to pay you back too. We're not going to escape. So leave the justice for God. And oftentimes when you see God give the justice, sometimes we want the justice. And when you see sometimes the person get their justice... Especially if you're someone that has a heart, you're like, Lord, you, you yourself feel it for them. But you know, it had to be carried out. But let the Lord do, let the Lord do the carrying out. Next, be careful what we do in this life. Because be careful of the seeds that we sow. You know, we might be forgiven. But there's still going to be consequences. And of course, in David's case, we see exactly how those consequences affected his entire household. You ever hear about generational curses? Mm. Mm-hmm. They real. And many are suffering from generational curses. When you have a lot of churches, they don't teach these things. But it is true. Anyway, that's a different subject and not a topic for me to go into at this point. And then last but not least, never, ever, do you hear what I'm saying to you? Don't you ever, ever, ever trust a donkey because he can cost you your life. Just ask Absalom. And the donkey ran off and left him. He had enough sense to leave him. The donkey like you going down by yourself. Never trust a donkey. So you see Absalom went from a chariot with horses and 50 men in front of him to no men and riding on a donkey. He was demoted. And that was, you know, those were spiritual signs of him decreasing. But he was so pumped that he couldn't, he couldn't see anything. And of course, in the end, it cost him his death. But I will also... Say this. He was pretentious. He was 
politically and wickedly ambitious. He was crafty. He was nice looking. Long hair, no blemish on his skin. All of that he was. And he was wicked as ever. But if you notice good too, he did have a heart. But there's not too much information further on Absalom. He had a heart somewhere. But I often wondered, even today, did he become embittered by what happened to his sister and the fact that David did not give her any type of justice or comfort? Only God knows. Because guess what? He was the only one to come to her aid. And he took her in and she lived with him. And after he died, she ended up taking care of his, his daughter. But he was the only one beside God to look out for her. So I wonder, did that really make him bitter towards his father? Could it be? Only God in heaven knows. But clearly, he did at some point, there was a heart. And had David probably done the right thing, there would have been probably a better hope for Absalom and maybe even Ammon. And even maybe a better outcome despite the circumstances for Tamar. But God turned that situation with Tamar around. Thank God. You know, but um, he did have some kind of heart. But it went south somewhere. And if not, if he ain't loved nobody, he definitely loved his sister. So, yeah. So, last question. Do you think that the curse of the sword stopped here? Well, unless you already know the answer, you will have to tune in for the next and hopefully the last installment of this series entitled The Sins of the Father, Curse of the Sword, Children of King David. Okay, now I can't answer that, even though I do know the answer. And if you have read the stories, of course, you also would know the answer. So if you've read it, you know the answer. And if not, it's okay. You'll find out next episode. Well, we have come to the end of this episode. And... The final part of the life of Absalom and the third part of the Sins of the Father series, Curse of the Sword. So yes, so let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the lives of your servants filled with your stories. Most importantly, we thank you for the greatest story that was ever told to man, and that is the gospel of none other than our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So now we have arrived at the quote of the episode, and this one is deep. The quote of this episode is... 
and it's not from Streams in the Desert because I know that's the one I've been using a lot. But no, this 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 is a good one. It's actually from Pastor Chuck Smith of um, Calvary Chapel, and it's it is sin, though forgiven, leaves its mark, and indeed it does. It really does. And also real quickly before signing off, I would just like to take some time out to shout out to the two individuals who purchased the scripture writing plans. And also thank you to all of you who have done so and also bless the people that left um, reviews on as far as the scripture writing plans. Uh, I think one of the ladies names was Wendy, Miss Wendy. God bless you. And, um, you know, may God continue to to cover, to protect you and your family. And I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you who have, you know, who have done so. God bless each and every one of you. And also, I have to work on my next episode for the Blood of the Martyrs, Dying for the Fate series, where I stopped off in the first of the 10 primitive executions of the church. And in that episode, it also covered the execution of both Paul, Apostle Paul, as well as the Apostle Peter. So I have to um, continue reading to produce the next installment for that series. Not sure yet when it will be done, but it will be done. And I also have to get ready to do the study for the final part of this series so that I can close it out. So yes, if you have been with me all this while, God bless you because it was long. But yeah, there was nothing that I could do. Um, it's what the Lord wanted, what the Holy Spirit was revealing. And I think I was finished on it. Then he was giving me stuff. And I'm glad because I know I personally, I learned a lot. I know the story, but there were things that I just read and didn't see at that time. Um, even during the time when I was doing, preparing for this, that I was able to see after. So I thank God because I, you know, at this point I probably, not probably, I was not where I was back then and where I was back then. I'm not, I wasn't where I'm at right now. So I was able to see certain things that were, um, definitely a teaching lesson for me. So I learned a lot. Um, in doing this series, as well as these particular studies on the life of the children of King David who were affected by the curse of the sword or the sins, his sins with Bathsheba. So once again, I'd like to take this time to say thank you for joining me on another episode of the Words of Encouragement podcast. I pray that this episode or this podcast has been a blessing to you. I also hope and pray that this series was a blessing to you. And if this episode or this podcast or this series has been a blessing to you, please feel free to share it with others. Please feel free to subscribe to the Words of Encouragement podcast on iTunes or better yet, how about I just say it like this. I don't believe in begging for subscribers. Mm -mm. I've been in this business six years. I don't even have 10 subscribers. But either way, that doesn't matter. The work goes on. So let me rephrase that. Please feel free 
to check out the Words of Encouragement podcast, if you choose to do so, on iTunes.com, Spreaker.com, Podomatic.com, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Player FM, Spotify, Podtail, Deezer, and everywhere that podcasts can be heard. You can also feel free to like, share, and subscribe if you choose to do so. Also, please feel free to check out my other podcast, which is entitled The Nuggets of Thankfulness Podcast, which is a devotional podcast, which is also featured on all podcasting platforms. I look forward to being with you on another episode of the Words of Encouragement Podcast. Remember that as long as there is life, it is never too late to accept Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. But there's still a lot in this world that believe they can come to God without Christ. That is not true. Jesus is the only way. Do you hear me? Do not let the enemy fool you. Be blessed, and I will see you in the next episode. And depending on how long this episode is, because I know it's going to be long, I might have to break it in two and put both out at the same time. So, see you. God bless you. Okay? Be safe.